Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 19, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. There's slight air of a circus circus master there, and how I said that, which is poignant because the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus is now dead. So I had always hoped that I could have been a ringmaster, and yet now that path is closed off to me. That so. and also being in a band. Both yeah, that off. both closed. Well, no, but you know, think about it. When my kids actually um, leave the house, you know, may, I just said this last night. Maybe with the piano that's in our house right now, that I don't have kids playing every day. Maybe I'll learn how to be a jazz pianist. You realize I didn't your even kids, say that, right? But your kids are going to leave and then come back again. Well, in my in, more to the point, my kids looked at me and said, "That ain't happening, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't going to happen." Well, welcome, listeners, to paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Um, Today, in episode 19, we're going to talk about uh, a, a fantastic title that the Becky Nader came up with, Jesus Was the Worst Self-Help Guru Ever, and I think we'll give you plenty of ammo to support what a terrible self-help guru Horrible. Jesus... <laughs> you would never buy his book. You just wouldn't. And, well, and it comes within the this month where we're focusing on finding God's will and living in God's will, and really what that means is... When we are looking for God's will, we're trying to live the life that He intended for us, which is that we would make the assumption because He loves us, the best life ever. So that sounds like so something Oprah Winfrey would say, wouldn't? Isn't it to have your best life ever? Or uh, what I love about Oprah is that she says so many words, and really, not a lot of substance is said there. So, but we're going to quote her yeah, we later are. today. Yeah, we are. So, if you're a new listener and this is the first time you've ever listened to this, my name is Rick and I'm author of the Jesus Centered Life and editor of the Jesus Centered Bible. And this is Becky Hodges over here. We call her the Becky Nader because Hi. she's she's a powerful innator. Wait, wait till you see what she innates today. So, we often go to <laughs> she's looking in her perplexed way at me it's right the now. End like of the a, day. Yeah, I really the have in, the I, innating. I've, is used, I've used up all my innating. <laughs> my innating is done for the day. And yet we're about to discover that that's not true. So so you know, we, we want to make decisions in our life. That's why we want to know God's will. We want to honor him in our life. We don't want to just go off and do our own thing, even though we often do. We know we have a desire to follow the will of God. So we're looking for an answer, we're, we're, and we get tired of this struggle of trying to figure out what is it we need to do. And often our answer is we just need more discipline, which is where the self-help stuff comes in. We go to that section of the bookstore because we think, hey, if, if I find the right kind of recipe mm-hmm. that works for me, and I don't have to use maybe that much more discipline than I'm currently using, but I just use it in a different way and it has much better results, then maybe I can finally get on top of my life and get some of the stuff in my life that I really don't like or am unsatisfied with out of my life. So it's it's quite magnetic, obviously, because we long to grow. I mean, that that's one thing you can learn from how big the self-help section in the bookstore is. We are people who are created to grow, not to be stationary in life. We have a longing 
to grow into ourselves. And we just don't always know where to get that growth from. Well, and I'm very attracted to the self-help aisle. And for a long time, I did a lot of mixing of Jesus and (laughs) self-help. A lot of, I'm going to do all of this on my own. Oh, oh, and Jesus, by the way, you're here too. Um, But I I think it's because we're kind of taught that we need to improve ourselves and that um, we're not quite right the way we are and that there's a lot of improvement. And if we could just, you know, if we could just improve ourselves a little bit, we could make a huge impact on our life. We could change our relationships. We could change the way that we look, we could change the, the way that we feel, we could have a better career. So it's it's no it's no wonder. None of these things are bad to want for your life. It's just that they can be a little tricky and they can be they can trap us. They can trap us into cages sometimes. Well, even more deeply, I think the insidious nature of these things is that as we pursue self-help uh, strategies and recipes, really the, our end game, even though it would be hard to admit this, is that we we want to be self-sufficient in the end. Yeah. And self That's true. and and if you said to somebody it's not a good thing to be self-sufficient, you'd be looked at as well what's wrong with you psychologically? I mean, of course we all want to be self-sufficient, but Jesus goes to great lengths to say self-sufficiency is a danger and I'm going to undermine it at every turn in your life. So and when you were talking, Becky, I remember this old bumper sticker. I'm old enough to remember this bumper sticker. Maybe some listeners are too. It said, God is my co-pilot, which is like, it sounded great, and it was very popular oh, back yeah. in the day. God is my co-pilot. I do remember but it's this. theologically bankrupt. Uh-huh. So it, it basically says what you said. Well, I'm driving. Yeah, I'm going to bring you along in, for the ride. I mean, what more could you want, God? You can totally come in the car exactly. if you want. Exactly. You called shotgun, <laughs> so it's yours, baby. You, you, Jesus, sit shotgun. You called it first. Um, but it's actually the very thing that Jesus was trying to get us not to do. He doesn't want to be our co-pilot. And here's here's the really fun thing. He also doesn't want to be our pilot. He doesn't want to take the wheel of your life and just guide and direct your plane wherever it's going. He wants a relationship, mm-hmm. which is more like art, which is more like playing music together. It's 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 a relationship where you walk together and figure things out together and because we honor and worship him as Lord, we defer to him in the midst of this. It's it's part of our relationship. We honor him by our obedience, and we we show him how much we love him, not because we're supposed to obey him, but because we love obeying him. I mean, because he's he he his guidance brings life into our life. So we're gonna uh, go through a few things that are are popular in the self help world now. And uh, we just want to kind of get you conditioned to what some of those self-help messages are, and I think you'll resonate with with these right away. And we're going to try to flip them on their ear a little bit. So, Becky, why don't you start? One of the reasons why we like to do this is because some of these people say really awesome stuff. I mean, just inspiring. They've helped a lot of people, and it can be tricky because some of what they said they're saying sounds so true but it's just it's just it's off a little bit and i often will see people who will post a meme that has like a scripture quote on it and then the next thing is quotes from some of these people so i i can tell that sometimes we get confused and we we lose sight of kind of the truth behind some of this stuff so the first one 
is from a, an author, author. I have read most of her books. I really like Brene Brown a lot. Um, so this is a quote from Pinterest. Owning our own story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And the what a lovely statement, right? She's saying, be authentic. Just be who you are. That's a good message. Don't be afraid of being who you are. The, the tricky trap with some of this is, is she's making it all about what you have to do. So you have to own your own story by yourself. You have to love yourself and you have to be brave. You have to do this. You need to own up and do it by yourself. And one of the things I want to say is there is so much freedom with Jesus because he does all of this for us and with us. And it's, it's not as hard. It's not, it doesn't, it isn't so hard. And she kind of makes it sound hard. Um, to me, yeah, I, I love Brene Brown too. And and when she when she says own your story, love yourselves through that process, that's the most courageous thing you'll do. I think the insidious thing for me in thinking about what she's saying is it's a closed system. It's a closed system that is not does not have an opening to Jesus. She doesn't even maybe mean to say this, but we always gravitate toward the closed system because we would prefer, as I said before, self sufficiency rather than dependency on Jesus. So if I can own my own story and love myself through that process and do the brave thing, then tacitly, what do I need Jesus for? (laughs) And and Jesus' diagnosis of these closed systems is, look, if you're not attached to me and getting your life from me, you're going to die. (laughs) He couldn't be more blunt. And so he sees this as an insidious distraction— this self-sufficient closed system. So here's another one from a you know maybe the 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 at least, uh, certainly the wealthiest self-help guru that has oh, ever been. Oh, he's huge. Yeah. yeah, his name is Tony Robbins, and this is from his book, the second the the ninety second cure. And let me read you a little bit of a chunk of that. So he says, "You've got a two million year old brain. Survival software is running the game. The brain only knows two things: look for what's wrong and decide to fight or flight." I'll always have survival software in me, and that's a good thing. But I'm not going to let survival software get in the way of my joy. I have a 90-second rule. I start to feel it. I become aware of it. Within a minute, I'm, I'm uh, aware of it. Within 90 seconds, that thing's dead. I question that stupid thought. All of our suffering comes from expectations. I'm expecting you to do something, and you don't do it. I'm expecting myself to do something, and I don't do it. Angry, depressed, whatever, it's all expectation. So as soon as you start to question the expectation, you start to change the way you feel. I love that Tony Robbins is kind of like more bossy in his language. Like the other <laughs> women are like the women self-help are like, love yourself. And he's like, let's let's listen to this. He's just super bossy. Yeah, and and he's just he he's unabashedly in a closed system. As soon as you start to question the, the expectation, then you start to change the way you feel. And it, it's a very uh, tempting offer he's putting on the plate there, as opposed to our own experience in life where we don't feel like we have the power to overcome our circumstances. He's saying, oh, you're wrong about that. You do. You just haven't had the courage to access that power. Let me help you access that power, and then you can be self-sufficient like I am. And it's that's enticing. If you've been in a rut and you've been, you know, maybe you've been working hard at your career and you're not going anywhere and he's telling you it's because you're in a fight or flight mentality and you're using, you know, your primal brain and I'm going to teach you how to, you know, how to how to access power that is above that. 
that sounds really good. Oh, you mean accessing power that that I don't have to reach outside of myself to get? Yeah. Ooh, that's that's pretty enticing. Yeah. So uh, um, next we have the the queen. Oprah, why don't you do that one, Becky? So I love Oprah's quotes. I just, I, it was hard to choose one, but this one I thought was great. She said, Think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness. And first of all, I have a hard time thinking like a queen because I don't really know what if a If you think you do, what about me? I don't know. I it's mean, it's not possible for me to think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Um, Somehow I doubt that as well. Um, and then also just failure is another stepping stone to greatness. That's great. I mean, we do know that Jesus uses our failures to help guide us, you know, and he uses some of those critical moments in our life as change, change, you know, game changers, but he does that. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different. And, you know, this is something we've heard like from a billion different people, the same thing about failure. And, and you know what, uh, here's another way of thinking about this. You know what people are who are absolutely not afraid to fail? Those people are called narcissists. Um, narcissists believe that the world literally revolves around them and Nothing is important unless it has something to do with them. So they often don't feel fear failure because it's not possible for them to fail mm-hmm. in their system. Um, and so the way that they see themselves is as a person who never fails because they're so uh, uh, focused on everything relating to them. So this is really, I mean, when you slow down and pay attention to these statements, they're ridiculous statements. A queen is not afraid to fail. Well, the truth is, if you try anything that's of consequence, you risk anything, you, you go out on the limb for someone, or if you're in any kind of intimate relationship whatsoever, the, f- the fear of failure is always going to be there, and it's just a normal part of life. The more responsibility you have, actually, I think the higher the, the level of feeling like, oh my gosh, if I failed, it would be in front of so many more people. And we know that we have people who are in ministry who listen to this podcast, and that, that can be a huge thing, too, is if you're in ministry and you fail, that could be really public to a lot of people. So I, I mean, I would think a queen would actually have a lot of fear of but, failure. And, but. And, the, and the other thing is, uh, she says, it's a stepping stone to greatness. And the truth is, only those people who are now successful and looking back on their failures with some ease, I mean, they're not in the midst of it, so they're not leveraged by their failure. They're just looking back on their failures, and they are currently experiencing their success. Only those people say That's failure true. is a stepping stone to success. That's true. If you're in the midst of a failure... It does not feel like a stepping stone to success. So we have one last one that we want you to actually listen to. This one's quite uh, popular, um, being posted on Facebook and YouTube and elsewhere right now. It's in the middle of some kind of uh, event that Will Smith was speaking at, Will Smith the actor, and he's talking about his first time going skydiving, and he's extracting a lesson from his first experience in skydiving. So we've put together a little kind of condensed version of a much longer story. So just listen to some of the what he experienced in skydiving and the lesson that he takes from it. So let's listen. And somebody says, yeah, we should go skydiving tomorrow. <laughs> and you go, yeah, we'll go skydiving tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah. And everybody goes, yeah. So then that night you're laying in your bed and you just keep... <laughs> 
and you're terrified. You keep imagining over and over again jumping out of an airplane and you can't figure out why you would do that. You wake up the next day and you go, you know, down and you say where you were going to meet and everybody's there. So you get in the van and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And your stomach is terrible. You can't eat and everything, but you don't want to be the only punk who doesn't jump out of this airplane. So you fly and you go up, you go up, you go up, you go up to 14,000 feet and somebody opens the door. And in that moment, you realize you've never been in an airplane with the door open and you're looking out down to death. And they say on three and they say one, two and he pushes you on two because people grab on three and you go and you fall out of the airplane and in one second you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life you're flying there's zero fear you realize that the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear it's bliss why were you scared in your bed the night before? Why did you, what do you need that fear for? Everything up to the stepping out, there's actually no reason to be scared. It only just ruins your day. The best things in life on the other side of terror, on the other side of your maximum fear are all of the best things in life. Okay, so uh, Will Smith says that God places the best things in life on the other side of our terror, and that we really, and Becky and I were talking about this before, what he's implying is that it the, the real goal here is to stop being afraid up into the microsecond when you actually step out of the plane or take your risk or whatever else, that, that there's no good reason to lose a night of sleep or ruin your breakfast or any of those things. It's stealing life from you, so get rid of that. And we were we were just talking about some of the fallacy of that, and for me the fa- the biggest fallacy of that is, well, what if the missed night of sleep, the uneasy night of sleep, the rotten breakfast, and the in the tension in your gut, is actually the way Jesus accesses your heart? Mm. Because when we're on top of all of our fears and we have no fear heading into danger, again, we don't have a present sense of our need for Him. And I don't know about you, but I I am most close to Jesus in an intimate way when I feel like I most need him. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the, Absolutely. in the Jesus-centered life, I think there's a, a chapter in the back called um, Needing Him to Know Him, mm-hmm. and it's all about, we, we're really not going to taste the depth of the heart of Jesus unless we need him on a regular basis, because needing him propels us into a more active, engaged relationship with him, you know this yourself when you're going through something where you really need him, you're awake and alive to your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Well, what if Jesus ultimately wants that awakeness and aliveness all the time because he enjoys it? Well, it also implied that, you know, if you're in the middle of a, of a really hard thing right now and you're afraid, that that's a bad thing, that it's that, that God is going to be so displeased with you because you're afraid. And, and he does tell us constantly, like, don't be afraid. I'm here with you. And he, he reminds us, but it's not like a condemnation. It's just a reminder that I'm here with you. Um, and we thought this would be a great opportunity to lead into 
a story. This is, we're going to, we're doing Old Testament. Like this is the second week in a row that we've been OT. It's the OT. Yeah. This is the OT episodes. I, I don't even know what I'm Adam saying. Adam does right not now. think that is amusing. It's not very okay. funny really actually. When you think All about right. It. Can't get, moving on. Okay. So we're going to be in Judges um, chapter six today. Of and course. I, who isn't in Judges six today? Raise your hand if you read Judges six today. This is an epic story. I feel like it should be a movie. Yeah. Well, Becky's going to do um, an overview of this kind of iconic story. It's one of those stories that we all think we know, but actually when you slow down and pay attention, oh, I don't think I did know this story. So she's going to give an overview of it, and then we're going to walk over a little bridge into uh, a Jesus story out of this. So I'm going to go quickly through the whole story, just because I feel like you need to have some context in order to understand the passage that we're going to focus on. But, you know, it's Judges chapter 6. It's the typical Old Testament flow. The people turned away from God. They started worshiping idols. God said, all right. And he gave the land to the Midianites, who were mean. And they stripped the land bare, and Israel was reduced to starvation. And this man, Gideon, was gathering wheat. He was trying to hide wheat for his family because it was hard to find food. And an angel showed up, this angel. I, it doesn't really go into detail of like, he, he clearly didn't trust that it was an angel because he questions whether or not it's an angel. But I would think, I don't know, that if an angel was sitting there, you'd probably know it. But anyways, this angel don't comes. Don't all angels look like Warren Beatty? I don't know. Only a small we, percentage of people know. listening right but now will get other that. other stories where angels appeared, people, it was pretty obvious that there was an angel. So I love Gideon because he's a lot like me. He So he has this talk with the angel. The angel says, you're going to go and you're going to destroy the Midianites and I'm sending you. And Gideon's like, hey, I feel like I need to check. So he goes back to his house and he does this whole ritual and proves that he's an uh, angel. We got to pause there for a second. So... Um, the angel tells him, hey, you're going to go destroy the Midianites, this really cruel people. And yeah, go ahead and get get started. And Gideon's like, uh... First of all, I have to go get my altar, and I have to do a sacrifice, and then you have to prove to me. And so the angel stays with him, and he does it, and it's proved like this is an angel. And so then the Lord... Um, and But Gideon is afraid at right after. So he knows now, okay, an angel did come to me. This is happening. God is asking me to do this. And, and he says, I'm afraid. And the Lord immediately turns to him and says... Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So God then speaks to him and confirms, I am sending you. This is me. So God, again, he calms Gideon's fears by reminding him that he's the one. So the first thing, and this is what I love. So he doesn't just right away send him to go destroy the Midianites. He has him do a small task first. So the first thing that he asks him to do is to destroy this altar that was built to Baal, which is the false idol that they were worshiping, and and put up an altar in the name of the Lord. And when he does this, it causes quite a stir. And the people there are like, you know what? Whatever. Let Baal defend himself if he's God. And that ends up being um, Gideon's nickname, which I think is kind of cute. He got a nickname out of that. So so this man who is just continually fearful, he doesn't know quite if he wants to do this whole thing the whole time. So he does this first thing. Then he's being sent to go destroy the Midianites um, and take back Israel. And so then God's like, all right. So um, Gideon, now it's time. We're going to go. And Gideon's like, I'm not sure if I heard you right. <laughs> this is where I'm like, he is, He's like us. <laughs> I, he's like us. This is like totally Becky circa 2005. I'm not sure I heard you right. 
So he asked God, he said, so now we're in at, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 36. And these are blue, blue letters, by the way. Um, then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece Rung out a whole bowlful of, and it wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then, and I love this part. Then Gideon says to God, "So please don't be angry with me, but let me take, <laughs> let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test." So he's not sure. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that, that so that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So here you have. Just the sweetest story of this guy who's like, I'm not sure multiple times. He admits that he's afraid. God has consistently come back to him and said, hey, I'm asking you to do this. This is from me. I'm here. I'm with you. This is from me. Um, he sends an angel. He does all of these like miracles. And and this is to me is just the opposite of, of what Will was saying is that He's Will was trying to say, hey, this whole process of fear, it, that's a waste of time. And in all actuality, this whole process of fear and all of this stuff that it's doing in Gideon is growing strength in him so that he will have the courage from Jesus to go and do this task that's going to be hard for him. Yeah, I love, I, um, first of all, it, you said it's uh, blue letters and you're reading from the Jesus-centered Bible, which in the Old Testament we have almost 700 of these sections that we've highlighted in blue that point to Jesus. And this is a one-of-a-kind thing in the Jesus-centered Bible. It's never been done before or since. We didn't know at the time we were doing it, but it's crazy that that's true. But what you want to read the little box, every little blue-lettered section in the Old Testament that we've highlighted, also we wrote a little caption box that explains the connection to Jesus in it. So what, what does the caption box say? So there? this one says, um, Gideon asked the Lord to prove his ability and inclination to bring victory against his enemies. He asked God to prove himself twice later after his resurrection. This is um, Jesus. Jesus agrees to give Doubting Thomas two sources of proof that he has been true to his word, and that's from John t- chapter 20, that's fascinating, isn't 24 it? through 29. So, so both these references actually um, underscore the same thing that is in Fear opposition to all of these self-help quotes yeah. we just read. So instead of condemning fear and doubt, um, God, and later Jesus, is patient with fear and self-doubt. Yeah. He doesn't back off from saying... Um, I wish you believed more than you do, but he perseveres in the midst of our fear and doubt. He doesn't condemn us for being in the place that Gideon is mm-hmm. uh, repeatedly. Like, well, what else am I supposed to do here, Gideon, to prove to you that this... But he understands how locked up we are in our own self-sufficiency. So Gideon can't imagine how he is going to lead anyone to defeat this overwhelming army called the Midianites, and we can't imagine in our life sometimes how we're going to do the things that we think God is asking us to do. How are we going to possibly do that? I need some more help here. And the response from God is, okay, I understand. You need more help. I need to bring you along. I need to give you a few things that will help you put your foot in the water. 
with the risk here. And then you'll see how I come through in the midst of this. He's very, very patient with us. One of the things I love about this way that we do things, and if you're new on this podcast, our whole thing is we slow down and we pay ridiculous attention to the things that Jesus and God did so that we can better understand his heart and his message for us. And as I was reading this story this morning, I was thinking to myself, you know, I've heard this preached in church a few times. And this is how I've heard this message preached. There's a, a few should times. coming. I hear a should yep. coming here. Is, so, okay. Um, the people of God, they turned away from the Lord. They started to worship their false idols. Let's talk about the false idols that we have in our world. What things are we doing? And then it all becomes about what are the, all put, you know, what is the shame in the room? What are the things that we need to stop doing? What are the things that we, and I've never, ever taken the time to really pay attention to this story and just see the sweetness behind Jesus's heart in this whole pursuit of us. Hmm. We're in this constant, the whole Old Testament is just, the same story over and over again. The people fall away. God pulls himself away. Then he comes back and he constantly is pursuing us regardless of where we're at. And and you miss all of that when you zoom in on false idols. Oh, this is a story about false idols. And we miss paying attention to what God was actually trying to do in this story. So I told you that there, there's the Beckinator beckoning right there. She just beckoned. She said she couldn't do it. She said it's the end of the day, <laughs> and she beckoned right there. So that's just not—and and, uh, when we were talking about this before, I had this kind of visual image of the, of the switch that we're talking about here. So one way that we think we are supposed to pursue the will of God is like painting by numbers when you buy one of those— predetermined scenes that has little sections corresponding to each color, and all you have to do is paint within the lines the right color that corresponding to that number. We think that's what this is. God, we just need to figure out your paint by numbers, and then I'll do the painting inside the boxes that you've created, when actually what Jesus wants is for us to paint from scratch with him. He wants to paint with us, but not in a paint-by-numbers way— he wants to—this is going to sound uh, over the top, but it's true—he wants to co-create with us. And we know that because Jesus says in John 16, John 14, 15, and 16, he says basically the same thing. What I want is I and you and you and me and us doing this together. I've shared everything I've heard from the Father. You're not slaves anymore. You're my friends. I want you to participate in everything I'm doing, and I want to participate with you. Let's go do some adventures together. Let's paint from scratch. And along the way, because we're painting from scratch, you're going to need me. uh, As we paint, it's a collaborative effort in painting from scratch, and I want to influence the beauty of the painting at the end. And let's do it together so that when we're done with that painting, we can stand back and together go, wow, it's not only a great painting, but wasn't that fun to paint that together. So let's turn to a story now where Jesus is um, teaching his best friends how to paint from scratch, not paint by the numbers. So this is in Luke chapter 9, when um, Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples. For the very first time, they're going to be away from him. So they've been with him, with him, with him, watching him model all the things that he does. They're, they're perplexed sometimes, they're in awe sometimes, they're just absolutely flabbergasted sometimes, they are, they are hooked on his teaching, they are upended in their life, and they see the miraculous things that Jesus does. 
And now Jesus is going to invite them to start to learn how to, how to paint with him. So he's going to send them out together, two by two, without him for the first time. This is a big moment. So let me start reading in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll read a little section here. So one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Whoa. <laughs> so it sounds really exciting. Yeah, he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. So if you so just imagine this, you're you're one of the disciples, you don't know what's coming next, and Jesus calls you together and he says, "What I'm about to do is give you power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases." And you're like, "Uh-oh. What what am I going to be doing?" What what, what is, am I gonna be doing how soon? How's that gonna work? Do I? <laughs> yeah. Is there like a, a hand gesture? Yeah, or there a particular uh, s- like series of words you use, yeah. Jesus? Uh, Jesus, I've seen you do that. So aren't you gonna keep doing that? W- w- why do we need to do that? So he gives them power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So here's what he says to them. Here, here's his instructions. So just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. You've just been given power and authority over demons to cast them out and to heal all sicknesses. Uh-oh. And now here's your here's your job description for the next, uh, let's see, it, 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 let's say at least several weeks they're going to be gone doing this. So here's what Jesus says to them. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. So first of all, he strips them of all of their self-sufficiency. Just catch this. Jesus strips them on purpose of all their self-sufficiency as he sends them out. Whatever, then he says, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave the town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. They're, they're supposed to go out. So here, here's what he's saying to you. He, he calls you together. He hasn't told you in advance what he's doing. He gives you power and authority. He tells you, um, don't take anything with you, not a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, even a change of clothes, nothing that can help you on your way. Basically, he says, go be homeless. Then it, even more, even more than a dependence on me, um, be dependent on a stranger yeah. in every town you go to and live in their house until you leave that town. So then you're going to be dependent on the kindness and, um, of a stranger. You'll be indebted to them. And and if any of them don't uh, welcome you, just shake, your, shake the dust off your feet and move on. He's saying, hey, there might be failure in front of you. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of these towns you go to, you may not find anyone willing to take you in. So just shake the dust off your feet and move on. He's already telling them you're probably going to fail at some point along the way. And your job description is to cast out demons, heal sicknesses, and uh, preach the good news as you go. Wow. So he is definitely giving them guidance and direction on what he wants them to do. But here's the beautiful part of this. Then he lets him go. He doesn't walk with them. He is not, uh, the Holy Spirit is, it has not come yet. So Jesus says later on, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit will come so he can inhabit you each 
teaching you each about me from the inside out, but right now Jesus is in a body. (laughs) He's not going to go with every set of pairs that he sends out. They're going out alone, trying to figure out how this is, what this is going to look like for them as they try to carry out what he does. And they, uh, in other, in other gospels, when they come back, um, they have questions. They're like, hey, when we tried to, you know, uh, cast this kind of demon out, it didn't work. Uh, we don't quite know what happened there. And Jesus goes, um, well, with that one, you have to pray and fast for that kind of demon. You have to, that, that's what you have to do in that situation. So Jesus, when they come back to meet with him, he coaches them. He helps them understand what just happened. And this is, a, uh, I think, a radically different way of, of looking at what God's will is. What is Jesus' participation in helping guide and direct us? Maybe he uh, does exactly what he does with his best friends here. He gives guidance and direction for where you should set off, and then you're kind of co-creating as you go. You're taking risks, you're experimenting, sometimes you're failing, and he's coaching you. He's giving you insight. You know why that happened? Actually, it happened because you did this. Try this instead the next time. So you try that the next time. And we kind of, in our own messy way, we, we mess our way toward following his will. Because when we are messing our way toward following his will, it necessarily means we are connected to him. We're dependent on him. We're not going out killing it out there. Mm-hmm. We're going out trying stuff, seeing some things work and some things not, and needing his coaching, needing his our relationship with him as we go. So just picture that. Uh, you're in front of a canvas, and it has no numbers on it, and you're going to create something from nothing with Jesus. And he's going to be with you along the way, helping to create that, guiding you along the way, sometimes using turpentine or whatever it is you used to wipe off some of the thing and start over again. That's that's a good picture of what it means to follow the will of Jesus. But to be moving, to be going, doing what I, I love what George MacDonald says about following the will of God. He says, do the next thing you know to do. Just do the next thing you know to do right now, because all of us know there is a next thing we know to do, and then allow Jesus to kind of guide and direct us along the way. And this, this is such a fun way to be a Christian. I think that this has been just the most epic experience of my life is starting to live like this. And I think we've, I've talked about a few times about last year, about this time I did a two week diet experiment with Jesus and that was fun. And then the two weeks it was over. And uh, this year I decided that I was going to do it for a lot longer and I'm doing something a little bit different this year. I am every day asking, well, every week I'm praying about what is ideal. Jesus, what? What is ideal? When we talk about body weight issues, we talk a lot about the word ideal. Um, And so every week I get a theme from him. So the first week was friendship is ideal. And then I focused kind of just praying with him and playing with him every day to show me something that he wanted to show me about friendship. And then this week he said strength is ideal. And so every week I'm focusing on, okay, Jesus, what do you think what do you want to show me about strength? And and then I'm just sort of blogging about that. And it has been so fun because what I what what happens is that when I try to take control of these things, I start at the wrong problem. 
I start at the, the thing that I think is the problem and it's always the wrong thing for me. And what he does is he says, Hey, I'll come over here. This may, ha- you may think friendship has absolutely nothing to do with your body. I'm going to show you why it does. And then he's been talking to me about that. And it's just been such a great playful way to interact with him and let him into parts of my life that I've in, in the, in the past kept him separate from and health and wellness is a big self-help trap. I mean, that's like probably one of the biggest self-help traps that you can get yourself into is, is leaving Jesus behind to follow some program, um, that's Mm. offering a quick fix with a lot of discipline usually from you. What you just said is so profound. Leaving Jesus behind so that you can follow a program is heartbreaking from the perspective of Jesus. If his great desire in life Mm -hmm. is to have an intimate relationship with us, and we decide to leave him behind in favor of following a program, it's a heartbreak to him. And you mentioned something there, Becky, that I loved. Uh, You mentioned playfulness a number of times, and playfulness is easier in our life with Jesus when the the stakes aren't all that high, like a parking spot or the, you know, you know uh, should I go see a movie tonight or should we stay in? And we've always said, these are not too small of decisions to invite Jesus into, um, but but it, it's easy to play with these things because there's not quite a lot on the line, but what, what happens when there's something really big on the line? Like it feels like you're about to jump out of an airplane. Does Jesus say... Uh, I really wish you were more playful about this dangerous, risky thing you're about to do. I think he understands the difference between these things that we're following his will into, and he and he's as as we've seen in the story of Gideon, we've seen Jesus with his disciples, we see Jesus with Thomas, where he's well aware that the stakes are higher for us sometimes, and he's well aware of how that leverages us. So. The thing, the, the thing about playing with God, um, the underlying truth about that is he simply loves to do stuff with us. Big things, small things, and if the big things scare you, all he asks is, don't shut me out of that experience. Don't, it, uh, if you can't sleep at night, invite me into not sleeping at night. And he's he also values honesty. So a God that values honesty can't say, pretend that you're not afraid. He knows that you're you're afraid and he he doesn't want you to. When he says don't be afraid, it's he's trying to comfort us. Because he, he knows that we are afraid of, about of a lot of stuff and we're afraid about stuff because it's it's legitimately scary stuff that we deal with in our lives. So So the, I think the, the here's the last thought for you today that thinking through um what well what's my next step with this and I think what what we're saying here is that th- there are already things you know to do. They're embedded in you. Uh, the Spirit of Jesus is active inside of you. He's already guiding you. Sometimes you just don't recognize that's his guidance, but you already know some things to do. And you already suspect that there's some other things that you need to do that you've been avoiding in one reason or another. And maybe you've even turned to a self-help book to keep you from doing the courageous thing that you think you really need to be doing, but maybe the self-help book is a less threatening way to go after it. There's already things that we all know to be doing, the next thing to do. So what if we simply moved in that direction and expected Jesus to come alongside us, to coach us, to intervene with us, to debrief with us, to answer our questions, to help guide and redirect us if we need to be, 
but we start moving in those directions. And if you don't know which way to move, if you're inert because you just don't know which way, I'm going to say something that sounds radical here. Just choose a way. Yep. Just choose a way and start moving, because when you start moving is when he'll start coaching. <laughs> what is he going to coach you to do when you, if you're not doing anything? So start moving so to give him the opportunity to either propel that direction or redirect it and and be be like a little kid just like a little child open to his coaching you expect it to happen it's not like um this great mystery you just expect that along the way he's going to involve himself in in the living out of this direction well gang um thanks for listening uh remember again that you can find out more information about everything we talked about today and even more stuff um, we we value the community that you're a part of. Um, we we want it to really develop into a community that is uh, already happening. If you if you haven't already um, asked to join our private Facebook page called the Pigs, please do. You can see a link to it at the bottom of this page. Um, if you go to JesusCenteredLife.com and look for our podcast section, this is season two, episode nineteen. You'll see a link. To, uh, to be invited into this private Facebook page where we can uh, begin to have a, a more two-way conversation about this, share our life with each other. We, uh, we love that you love listening to this and have a kindred space in your heart for this, so we don't take that for granted. We appreciate you. And again, this is the podcast Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast sponsored by Lifetree, and you can subscribe to this on iTunes or uh, can they subscribe on Google Play as well, Becky? Basically, any kind of, uh, of podcast app, we're in most all of them. So There you have it. We'll talk again next week. <laughs>